Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage. This, good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. And in studio this morning, I have uh, Dr. Jerry Irschbeck. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Good, thank you. Excellent. And as a special guest today, we have Amy Seiler with us, which we always enjoy her uh, being hanging out with us and, and chatting. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Great to be here with you both. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. As are we. We, you know, we, we enjoy fun conversations. <laughs> so let's take a moment from our sponsors and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Do you have questions about the coronavirus or COVID-19? Go to uwyocnp.org slash coronavirus slash uw-extension to find reliable information, community resources, and recipes using the food in your pantry. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast, presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at yoextension.org. There, you can find your county office, browse our many programs, and access dozens of free publications on gardening and so much more. University of Wyoming Extension events will not be held in person through May 15, 2020. Our educators are hard at work planning virtual education and activities. We will continue with much of our programming digitally on our website and official Facebook pages. See what we're up to this week at yoextension.org or visit your county Facebook page. All right. Hello, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. And uh, Jerry Urshabek from Urshabek Chiropractic. And Amy Seiler. You, since last time you were here, we've had you've had a change, so I'm going to allow you to introduce your your title, I guess. Let's put it that way. All right. Yes. So I am the director of Parks, Recreation, and Leisure Services for the City of Gearing, and um, I oversee the Five Rocks Amphitheater, the Rubidoux RV Park, our Monument Shadows Golf Course, and Eleven parks and our new plaza and the swimming pool and I probably forgot a couple things but it's it's been um a, a big change for me very busy boy yeah what an impressive <laughs> title I had to take three breaths myself just listening to it and so um I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering well Amy Seiler why is she talking to us or but you your background is arboriculture tree care, those types of things. So we thought that our our program today uh, would be about tree care and uh, possibly any other things that um, uh, we, we care to chat about today. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. I love it. Can, Everything trees. Can, can we launch into my problem first? 
Yes, let's get started with a good one. <laughs> okay, so uh, as prior to the program, I mentioned to Amy that I have uh, honey locusts. Uh, I have three of them in our in our landscaping, which we uh, suffered a hail about eight years ago. Uh, they they semi recovered from the hail, um, but they had then become infested with uh, some type of uh, borer. Uh, do you happen to know which one that one could be, Amy? Or it could have just been a secondary pest. I'm not really sure. Um, it, it would most likely have been a secondary pest, and and I don't recall if lilac ash borer actually will also um, feed or bore into honey locust. But oh, I do okay. know there is. It's it's probably is the size of the hole. Was it about the size of a um, little? a little shotgun or how big was the hole in the bore so um i didn't really pay attention to the size of the bore i didn't really notice that they had issues until the woodpeckers came and picked pecked mm. off all the all the bark okay <laughs> they're a telltale story yes they? they are so um uh now what's happening is uh, of course and these are good sized trees they were probably seven inch diameter um mm -hmm. uh uh trunks maybe a little bit larger What's happening now is uh, what is called epicormic shoots are coming up from the base. Most of the top growth is dead and done, and I'm going to have to cut all of that out. So my question to Amy was, uh, and and so maybe we should back up a little bit and say, okay, can can you give us a good definition of what an epicormic shoot is? Oh, man, you're testing me. Of course <laughs> I can. So an epicormic shoot is a response that a tree... Um, initiates when there's been some type of damage or injury to the tree and so it says oh shoot I've, I've got an injury I've got to um, put out a new bud or a new shoot and these often occur anywhere along the trunk um, anywhere along the branches um, kind of around where that injury would have occurred and it's the tree's response to create some energy to to create some energy to um, cover over that wound. And so that's what those epicormic shoots are kind of for. Now at the base, after like what you're describing, the tree is pretty much dead on top. And so the root system still has all of this energy within it. And there's still some live buds um, at the root system or just right at, the, right at the base of the tree. And so the tree will then put out all of these shoots in response because it doesn't want to die it still has a lot of energy um, within the root system and so it says okay my top is gone i'm going to put out a bunch of shoots to see if we can continue living um and reproducing taking a chance yep trying to figure out how to survive so i'm just like anybody else it's hard for me to cut down a tree right I i've i've committed i've committed 12 years to this tree <laughs> 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 and uh, it's really difficult to make that final decision to just take it out. Whack it. I know. And so I guess my question is, can I select one of these epicormic shoots, cut off the, the, all the dead from above, and select one of the epicormic shoots to have this tree recover? Is it worth my while, or should I just be an aggressive gardener and take the whole thing out? 
Okay, I think that's such a great question. And I think a lot of people ask that question um, when they have a situation such as you're explaining. And so if you had a forestry background. Um, Which I don't. Uh, yes. And so our, our district, one of our Western district foresters in Nebraska, Doak Nickerson, he would say, absolutely, he would call that stump sprouting it. And he's a, he's a forester and, and their philosophy in the forest is, you know, if you remove some trees, um, you can get that forest to regenerate by stump sprouting a lot of things. And so he would be of the opinion in the forest, stump sprout the heck out of it. Just let those sprouts come up everywhere. But the, the issue is in your situation is that this is in your landscape. And what we need to think about is what that rootstock is below is that desirable in your landscape. The second question is if it's coming from a part of the trunk down low we have to start thinking about safety because those epicormic sprouts are not attached the same mm-hmm. way. And so safety does become an issue as that tree would get older. Is there going to be enough wood built up that would prevent that tree from breaking off in a storm? So so, so potentially what you're saying is that at that point where it, it meets the current trunk, uh, in another 12 years, it'll break off there. <laughs> um it potentially if it doesn't if it does not build enough strength in the wood yes the likelihood of it um breaking off is probably greater now in the forest we would not worry about that because there there's very few impacts if that if that tree were to fail but in your home landscape and particularly when we're looking at um community forestry things that i would have to think about in our park system um i would probably not stump sprout that in a park system but for a homeowner especially if it's out maybe in a windbreak or for um, not where there would be a lot of targets not where you would be walking a lot i i would i would consider um take trying to get that tree to grow the other thing jeff that we had talked about was what what is what does this tree look like and especially with the honey locust um a honey locust, the ones that we grow in the trade now that the that the nurseries do, it is a what we call a cultivar. It is grafted on a very desirable um, tree is grafted onto a very hardy tree rootstock, and so we we have in in the trade a lot of. Um, honey locust roots that are super hardy can handle really low temperatures and drought conditions high soil ph they're they're very adaptable and on the top they have selected trees and they're mostly male because that's what makes them seedless and they're also thornless so my concern would be for your specific situation is where are these sprouts coming from are they coming from the the root which would be most likely something that would start to produce thorns and it may be a male that rootstock may be male and so or excuse me female so it would start to produce seeds um and so that's the that's the chance that you have to take um in in making this decision well, I know what I'll be doing this weekend. <laughs> Pro- probably cutting down a tree. Make, make good decisions, so, Jeff. So, Amy, uh, in order to keep that stump from, uh, if I cut it off at the ground, I, I don't have a stump grinder. I'm not going to go in and try to get rid of the, the stump that's there. If that's the case, um, uh, that stump, I know, will attempt to regrow. Mm-hmm. 
And so at that point, should I apply something like glyphosate on it to try to prevent that and totally kill that, that root system? Um, if, if, yes, if that's what the product is labeled for. Correct. Um, Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what, what you would want to do is, um, anything that you would do a fresh cut on, you could apply a product that was labeled for that type of use. And so, um, that, that would certainly hinder and that would take that down into the plant. Now you, you need to do it. Um, when it's fresh. Within it, 10 minutes of the cut. Um, I do not know that. you would. Do, I'm going to take your advice. Um, uh, the, yeah, 10 that minutes is, of the cut? That's the recommendation from, okay. from the manufacturers who have those types of products. Yep. Okay, perfect. And um, because otherwise it won't be as effective. Correct. And I know that they do this practice a lot when they're doing the Russian olive mm-hmm. removal along the river. And so I know that there's products out there that will work very effectively for that. And, and we're not talking about a drenching of the whole stump. All we're really concerned about is treating that outer cambium layer between the hardwood and the bark. So um, uh, it doesn't require a lot of material. It's just you can dab it on with a paintbrush or something. Make sure you throw that 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 away when you're done with it. Or but just a small hand sprayer. When we uh, were taking right. elm trees out of the mm-hmm. rose bushes and mm-hmm. out of the the undesirable areas mm-hmm. we were doing that and within the 10 minutes and you know by golly that worked yeah they were it, just small they were just around two inches in diameter but that really took I, care of them i think a lot of it has to do with the time those ty- those stump type treatments mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the time of year i've tried some fall applications i do not have the same control uh as i do uh early on in the spring and i and to me i would think if that tree is is in the fall, bringing all of the nutrients down into the roots, I would have better control. But it doesn't seem to work that way. I think that is so interesting because I would agree with you. My thought process on that would have been it is really starting to move things down into the roots. This should, this kind of like when we're treating dandelions in the fall, and that's when they uptake that, those chemicals most effectively. I thought that tree situation would be very similar this is very good news or interesting news. yeah and I, i've i've uh, i treated last fall and i think some of those are still living um but i need to go around and check them i think it also depends on the species i think hackberries don't uh, respond well to um that stump type basal treatment um we'll just see how uh, uh sensitive um uh Honey locusts are. No, that's not <laughs> to say that we should put glyphosate on any of the, the trees that do shoot up. I've seen that in, uh, we have what's called a mayday tree. It looks kind of like a choke cherry tree. Mm-hmm. And then a catalpa will do the same thing. If it's trying to die, it'll send out shoots. But it, I, I don't think that you should treat a living tree that sends out shoots, cut them and put glyphosate on them. Because I think you're going to probably ruin your tree. No, if you if you have a desirable tree in your landscape and yeah. it's sending up suckers and you don't want the suckers, just cut them off. Mm-hmm. And if you can, uh, and f- correct me if I am speaking uh, wrongly here, but if you can build the soil up over the top of those roots that are sprouting, you can prevent some of that in the future. Is that correct, Amy? Um, I... I've not had that experience. Um, sometimes the tree's response is when their roots are covered 
with additional soil, then then they're they're more stressed and they're going to start sending out more. I think it's probably very species specific the situation okay. that you're describing. Okay, so I've had good luck with um, cottonless cottonwoods who have sprouted from roots that are right along the soil surface. I've brought in soil, I've brought in mulch, and it's reduced that extraneous germination. So it might not work for all species, so, but it did yeah. for these. That is very interesting. I'm going to have to start observing that more. You know, with the, the cottonwood, that is one that really likes to sprout yep. anyway. So that maybe is a great, that's a great solution for that. I don't know if I would pr do that practice with an oak or others because they're not as adaptable to having excess soil over their roots. And I think that that might be a problem. Okay. And we used to always think about painting a cut surface of a tree. And now that's that's not in vogue that's, anymore. That's a bad no-no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not in vogue. So, so can you tell us why, Amy? Yes, because the tree has its own um, defense mechanisms to seal those wounds. And, and when we would put a paint over the top of a wound, we actually have the potential to lock some bacteria or cover some bacteria um, underneath that wound. And then it, it may be... You know, you're just, you're not allowing the tree to do its natural processes. So trees for thousands of years before we got this crazy idea to paint over the top of them had been sealing their wounds very effectively on their own. And doing just fine without us. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so now I have another, I have another tangential question that just popped into my mind. Um, in places that are fruit producing places they have a tendency to paint the trunks white do you know anything about that i not that i would like to talk about i have seen it okay. i have um read some different things um off the top of my head i don't recall if it had to do with reflection to reduce sun scald on the trunks i i do not i don't know much about that okay i and i think in in our area, people have done the, the painting of the trunks, mm -hmm. and it does reduce sun scald in things like plums and uh, potentially peaches, if people mm -hmm. are growing peaches, and some apples. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if that's something that we should be talking more about or not. Well, here's the thing that I would be thinking about particularly if the, the tree is young, we need to remember that there is a lot of gas exchange um, on the trunk of the tree while before it forms thick bark. Mm -hmm. There are little, especially on fruit trees, they're, they're called lenisoles, and they um, actually do a lot of oxygen exchange. Um, carb they are absorbing carbon dioxide and, and releasing oxygen, I believe. And when you cover that up, you prevent the tree from effectively having that gas exchange. And, and that could be problematic. I don't know what products they're using. I just I don't know enough about it to say one way or the other. But yeah. my thoughts are that you really have got to have that gas exchange. And, and I think that that painting may inhibit it a bit. But, you know, I, I'm sure that these fruit producers have some really good reasons and I'm sure some great research that backs some of this up but I think that we would want to use caution and do a lot of research before we did those practices. So we need to search the literature and see how effective that particular mm -hmm. treatment is. Okay perfect. 
I would not do that on an ornamental tree in my yard just because I think it looks kind of goofy, not natural. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to choose positive words. <laughs> yeah, but people do what they want to do, right? So we've, we've mentioned apple trees. Is this a good time now to uh, trim our apples and open them up? I've, I've seen that my apple tree has some really nice buds forming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we cut, we should try to clean our, our, our cutting apparatus, our saws, our pruners, right? Yes. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fire blight, and if you have fruit trees that are susceptible to fire blight, you, you want to be extra diligent about keeping your, your tools clean. And that's for, for any pruning practices, but fire blight is spread so easily on those pruning um um, pruning tools that you, you need to be very, very careful. But as you said, it is a good time to be pruning right now. All right. So uh, the the cleaning material, a little Clorox in the water? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Do bleach. you remember? Yeah, bleach. Uh, excuse me. Uh, bleach. It's soil, not dirt. It's bleach, not the other thing. Yes. Yeah, all right. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry to our offended listeners and the station. And, and sorry to interrupt. And so, whoever else. So, yeah. so if it's a bleach type solution, is it a 10%? Is it a 3% solution? Do you okay. have recommendations? So here, this is going to go to this conversation that we had off air about some things um, I just don't have memorized in my head because I know that I can look them up so easily. So I don't recall. I would have to look that up. I don't know if it's a one to four. I, I don't recall. Do you hey, know, Jeff? Hey, Jerry, why don't you Google that while we're uh, taking a commercial break? Yeah, I don't I do not do that with my phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. This Our time just goes amazingly fast when you're here, Amy. So uh, we're going to take a break and uh, uh, listen to the rest of our sponsors, and then we'll get back into this. Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The uwagnews.com website features real-time education, research, and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. Bookmark uwagnews.com today and subscribe to our monthly email newsletter, uwagnews.com, growing people, knowledge, and communities. Did you know University of Wyoming Extension offers free online courses? We offer an animal science course for 4-H students, estate planning, and information on taxes and fad diets. If we haven't covered a topic you're interested in, contact your local Extension office for help. Our course list is growing throughout the year. Head to yoextension.org and scroll to the online course catalog. While you're there, check out our Facebook feed or watch our collection of From the Ground Up videos for seasonal gardening tips. Okay, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards, Jerry Urshabek, and Amy Seiler on the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. It's uh, Friday the 13th, which which maybe some of us didn't realize yet, but Uh that's okay. Uh, I didn't think of that either. I could have went all day with knowing that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So could a whole lot of other people. Um, I'm, I'm th- we're going to continue having our conversation, but I'm going to throw this out. If there are people that have questions who would like to uh, chat with Amy, the phone number at the radio station is 532-2158, or, or chat with Jerry and myself. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, um, 
how do you feel about, you know, we're supposed to be pruning things right now. What is the latest that we should probably be pruning? Well, I think that we can prune until the the buds are really swelling and right before leaf push. That is such an extremely um, critical time in the tree, and it's using a lot of energy to start to push those um, new, new leaves on. And then if it if it immediately at the same time is trying to um, use its um, energy to seal over wounds, I think that is. Um, not as ideal as if we could do some of our pruning right now and then maybe i would say towards the middle of april it just kind of depends on your species um okay well i've got a species my brother-in-law gave us a red bud tree but it is a red bud bush right now it's only about uh two feet tall and it's has many many sprouts how long have you had it uh this is its second second or third winter okay we, we have a debate going at home so we don't know for sure and so that happens uh, at home yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> so w- when should i determine whether or not i want a bush or a tree and then do i just cut off all the little stems and try to form an apical maris so um, I, I think you have to first determine how you want this tree to function. And, you know, red buds are kind of a specimen tree in your yard. So it can be a very cool specimen tree with three trunks, two trunks, or, or just one single. Um, it, you also have to consider how, how you function around that tree before you determine what you want to do. The next thing is that you don't want to all at once take all of those branches off besides the one that you determined to be your main your main um, tree. You want to kind of phase it. So you may want to look and you might have three branches that are kind of going in, in three really good directions. So you may want to start taking maybe two, maybe three of those um, other sprouts that are in the tree. You might take a few of those off this year. Um, you can even evaluate during the growing season. Oh, this is kind of getting out of control. I might take another another one off. Um, so I, I think you, you there's several things that you have to determine before you decide what but you want to do, but you want to phase it for sure. Slow and steady mm-hmm. approach. Okay. So, it's beautiful. The, the flowers are gorgeous. Yeah, they are. They're very beautiful. fun trees to have in your landscape. Yeah. So good. I, I'm going to jump in here on that redbud conversation quickly. I too love redbuds very much. So, and I think that we can enjoy redbuds in this part of the country, but we have to make sure that those trees are coming from a northern seed source, like a Minnesota and eastern South Dakota, eastern Nebraska um, seed source, because they are more hardy. That rootstock is more adapted to our our very cold temperatures and also our different our different soil types. If you're getting a red bud from a nursery in Oklahoma or um, Arkansas, those are not as cold hardy, most likely just because of genetics, as the the um, varieties that would come from a northern seed source. And maybe a two season bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least. I, I, and I think my brother-in-law lives in Denver, had a redbud, and it had a kind of an offshoot, and he dug up the offshoot, babied it for a while, and put it in a pot and gave it to us. And it, it thank God, it's, it's, uh, it's performing well. Yeah, redbuds are very cool. They are cool. So here's a thought. So Shadron State College in Nebraska um, 
has a beautiful, beautiful redbud, and they collect the seeds off of it um, every year. And their horticulturist, Lucinda Mays, um, if, if people are interested in trying that, they could potentially get some seed and um, get a red bud started. But she has, she will um, save those seeds and sometimes she gives them out in little gift pack or little seed packets and things like that. She's yeah. very clever. Yeah. So She's also been a guest before. I thought yes, she, she has. Yeah, been. Yes. So uh, another time, I mean, we've been talking about honey locusts and uh, another time you had mentioned that you like to mulch with the seed pods. And so I kind of went, eh, well, we kind of gather them up. But we do mulch them with the mulching mower. Mm. So we mulch our lawn with honey locust pods rather than throwing them away. But we don't seem to put them all into one uh, uh, planting section to try to keep weeds down. I still love it because you're still kind of grinding that up and that that those minerals um are going back into the soil and i i think that's i think that's a great idea as well so honey locusts are they in the bean they oh. are a legume they yep. are a legume mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. okay so if you were really that hungry you could actually eat them um probably not uh, not uh, so much uh, i i've been told you could but i think you'd want to be pretty desperate mm -hmm. but i'm not that hungry <laughs> <laughs> squirrels enjoy them <laughs> squirrels really enjoy them you, you hear them cracking them up in the fall yeah i think you have to be very careful um i think do do your research on that in advance because kentucky coffee tree is also uh in the legume family and that you may not eat or oh. that will you will die oh so, wow okay um, that i think you need to be very you need to look up and there's some great websites out there um on on um toxic plant species so you might just want to check yeah that out. don't don't try it before you research it yeah yeah don't yeah. do that how many ways can you walk your honey locusts <laughs> 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 so i i saw something fun on the internet and of course you know if it's on the internet it's true uh but they were talking about aerial seeding and so mm -hmm. they were using what's what they were calling seed bombs mm -hmm. they plant trees inside this biodegradable container with like little pointy tips and uh, they were filled with fertilizer and the, and the tree plants and with this method they think that they can plant a, a billion trees a year they use a, a c-130 and they drop these cherry bomb trees yeah mm. and they strike the earth at about 200 miles an hour and they're positioned to bury themselves as if they were mm -hmm. planted by hand and so what a great way to plant a burned section uh, with minimal effort on the land, uh, you just want, maybe want to do it after a nice rainstorm mm -hmm. or that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, but I thought that was really in interesting. Interesting. I, I think it's I think it's incredibly interesting, and um, I'm curious to see what the what the results are and what the actual viability of all the the seeds are. You know, um, I had heard at a at a talk one time that um, a tree produces over a billion seeds and. Um, out of that, um, maybe one grows to full maturity. So it'll wow. be, in, you know, it'd be very interesting to see what their survival rate actually would be. I think it, it I think it'd be fascinating. And for a lot of pines, doesn't the, doesn't the heat of the fire make the seed pop out as well? I don't know for a lot of pines, but there are some pines that do have that very special mechanism. I think a lot is lodgepole one. I know that, um, uh, 
uh, yeah, I can't. It I can't remember either. But I I, kn I do know that it opens up the co the heat of the fire yeah. opens up the cones and allows the seed to come out. Lodgepole or I can't remember if it's jack pine. I there's I can't remember. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Well, <laughs> since we are talking about trees, uh, I'll slip this in. The Goshen County Master Gardener tree sale is going on until March 31st. Call 307-532 two four three six talk to caleb or linda farrier at the going at the goshen county extension office okay so trees perfect sale. Ooh, can i ask you a question about that what kind of trees are you selling well it said have you ever heard of a ginkgo tree Ooh, or a, fun. a canada red choke cherry or a red oak or uh, a majestic bur oak or linden or hardy poinsettia ponderosa, po <laughs> poinsettia, ponderosa pine <laughs> Yeah, it's Friday the 13th. Uh, uh, blue spruce with many more. Ginkgos. Ooh, fine. L let's talk about ginkgos a little bit. Ginkgos are a prehistoric tree. Am I, yes. am I saying that correctly? Okay. You are. And uh, we only want the males, I believe. Is that is that correct? Well, um, you can have the female if you want your landscape to smell like rotten dog poop um, nice. all summer long. And that's truly what it <laughs> yeah. smells like. Um, the, the female's <clears throat> odor is very offensive, but the super interesting thing is that awful smell attracts a lot of pollinators, animals, and things that would want to eat it and then <clears throat> spread it. So I, I'm, it's probably one of its mechanisms to, um, get it, um, out into the landscape more. Isn't that so crazy? So Amy, I, this begs the question. <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. Uh, how, do you, how do you tell if it's a male or a female tree? So I don't know how they do that. It's um, the nursery industry has determined that. But you can tell once it's an adult because the stench of the female is it's incredible. Yeah, the, yeah. An example is at Arbor Lodge in Nebraska City. Um, when you're walking around there in late summer, it, you think, my gosh, do they have a problem with people not picking up their a dog, dog waste? Park. It, <laughs> it is truly a horrific odor. And oh. that's and many cities actually um, on their tree list will not allow female trees to be planted, only male. One of the most interesting places that I've seen where ginkgos have been used is the campus on Purdue University. Uh, they have used a lot of ginkgo trees, and and primarily the reason for that is they're since they're an ancient tree, they are resistant to a lot of diseases and pests that we have now. So uh, they're really a good tree to have in your landscape. But have you heard this as well that that of course a male tree is going to put off a lot of pollen, and on most of our kiddos have some sort of an allergy, whether it's peanut or whatever, mm -hmm. and we're we're putting and planting mostly male trees around schools. So wouldn't it behoove us to plant more female trees, sucking up all that pollen and reducing that pollen load? Well, I think there's, you're, this is difficult, Jerry, because there are some trees that are only male and some, and, and they only, they have male and female trees. There are some trees that have both, like oaks, have, they're, they're both. So they have male and, and female. So male and female parts on the same tree. So you can't. You have to. You have to understand 
all of that before you start making those planting decisions. And plot thickens. Mm -hmm, yeah. It does. Bum bum bum. So um, I I would be. I, I think you, people that are thinking about planting around their schools, they need to have a really good conversation with their nurserymen or their, their local nurseries and um, also maybe visit with their local extension people yes. and find out um, what Or might the director be, of parks in Gearing, Nebraska. <laughs> just come talk to me. We'll, <laughs> we'll get you hooked up. Um, but I think what you're mentioning is very important because we want our kids to be healthy and... Um, as, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the nut allergies are such that, boy, everybody's kind of... If you have a kid that reacts and reacts poorly to nut, peanut, you really want to know what's being served at the birthday party. Mm -hmm. So, um, peanuts are not actually a nut, though, are they? No, they're... They're not a tree nut. They're, they're not, not a tree, a tree nut. nut. Right, they're not a tree nut. They're underground. Yeah. Are yes. they a legume? Yes, they are. That's what I thought. Um, I want to go back to this ginkgo conversation a second. Okay. So, Jeff, you had said something really interesting about that. They are not um, really susceptible to a lot of insects or disease. The other reason for that, um, them being an ancient tree, is ginkgo is the only tree in its family. It's ginkgo biloba. There, um, there isn't like... there. From what I understand, I hope I'm not misleading anybody, but um, so the insects and disease don't put a lot of energy into, um, you know, wanting to munch on a ginkgo because that's like only one item at the salad bar. If you can go with a maple, you have silver maples and red maples and all those different types of maples that grow all over. And so those tree, those pests are more inclined to be attracted to those because there's more items at the salad bar to eat per se so speaking of the salad bar and pests let's segue <laughs> let's segue into the emerald ash borer and the threat of the emerald ash borer in the state of wyoming um currently not found here yet but it is knocking at our doors so the salad bar emerald ash borer feeds primarily on the variety of ash trees that are available Mm -hmm. um, we do have many ash trees planted in Wyoming, um, and it's usually in the top three uh, of the trees that are planted in cities. So uh, if this particular, well, excuse me, maybe I should say when. <laughs> when this particular pest reaches Wyoming, it could significantly impact the uh, landscape of our towns and cities in Wyoming. Cheyenne is already selectively looking at these ash trees, mm -hmm. and if they look to be problematic, sickly, or otherwise undesirable, they're removing them mm -hmm. now. Which is a good idea. And I think that they're putting the uh, bait boxes in the trees and trying to uh, count their numbers. So those are um, uh, pheromone-based traps. Mm -hmm. And... Again, Amy, if I'm speaking out of turn here, jump right in. And, and so those are only available through, I believe, the USDA. That is correct. And uh, those pheromone bait traps are monitoring devices to see if they collect any of those adult beetles in them over the course of the season. And they're funny, funky looking. Yeah. They're, they're purple. Right. They're purple. Which like is a purple triangle type. Like a kite. A purple yeah. kite stuck in the tree. Like a box kite. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Um, so... Uh, and, and the reason that we bring this up is um, uh, Emerald Ash Borer, I believe, was f kind of first 2012, 2010, 
maybe a little bit earlier than that. 2002. Thank you. Um, but 2012 in Colorado. Tw- yeah, 2013. Yeah. Technically, yes. Yeah, technically. <laughs> Sorry. But it, but it was probably there a little bit earlier. Yes. Yep. Um, and in Colorado, in Boulder County, and in 2020, they've actually found it in the counties that are bumping up to the state of Wyoming. So, uh, again, if it, it when it shows up, it'll most likely show up in Cheyenne first, maybe Laramie, uh, and then work its way into the state. Now, how it got to Colorado is kind of an interesting thing because it's a big jump from its range on the eastern side of Nebraska, eastern side of South Dakota, basically is where it has inv- had invaded to. And they think that the primary means of relocating it was transport of firewood from those areas into the Boulder area. So, uh, Amy, if you have anything to add to that, uh, the, the key thing here is don't transport firewood. Buy firewood locally if you're going to go camp. That, and, and, that, and that is key. That is key to slowing down the spread of the disease. So the, the idea Spread of is, the insect. Insect's not a disease. Well, right? yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a pathogen, isn't it? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's a, you're right. So, excuse me, the pest. How about that? Perfect. Um, Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm not on my A game for terms today. My uh, gosh, I know. there's my coffee. Another cup of coffee. Yeah. So um, the the to slow down the spread, we just to we just need to not move firewood, and people need to be really diligent about about doing that because we know that this will eventually arrive. But if we can slow the spread of it, we can manage it better, and it won't be as severe an impact on our communities as if. Um, we that it spreads quickly it it's harder to manage um we have more mortality at a more rapid rate and so we just need to be very very diligent and and use burn wood where you buy it so and isn't oh, go ahead. excuse me and isn't tree health kind of one of those kind of ideas as well i mean i asked you about my ash trees and you said well are you watering them and i go well when it rains <laughs> and you said be, get a better watering program on there keep your trees healthier and they'll be a little stronger more resistant to emerald ash borer um not emerald ash borer maybe other ash but emerald ash borer is non-selective um it's going to go for a healthy ash or a sick oh ash it doesn't care um whereas our native ash borers they um are attracted to trees that are in a stressed state. That's probably like why Jeff's honey locust too. It was in a stressed state. That's why it was more susceptible to boars. Oh yeah, it was stressed. <laughs> yeah. it, it probably had canker all over from the hail and whatnot. But emerald ash borer is non-selective. It is. It will go after anything. What an ugly thing. It's well, an ugly thing. Anything in the ash uh, family, correct? Yes, and they are finding it. Not that we get to grow it out here, but like fringe tree they have also found that it has um it will munch on fringe tree which you'll see more in the eastern united states okay Um, so it's it's finding other things to eat after it's killed most of the ash okay so pictures of these things that you'll see online it's it shows this great big beetle it's got a it's metallic green it's a really pretty beetle uh has a flat head but then when you see them in real life you go oh that's it but they're they're small. They're about an eighth inch wide. They're um, they're kind of you don't really notice them, I guess, if you're not really looking for them. Um, 
And they have a lot of lookalikes too, by the way. Right. And and the most significant thing right now is that there isn't a viable control method for them. Uh, so that's why it is important to not tr- uh, transport uh, lumber f- or, or, or wood from one place to another so that we can get these plans in place to try to replace these trees before they are 100% in decline. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hop in here for a second. There are some treatments that you can pre-treat your trees. Um, they're, they're somewhat costly and they, they just kind of prolong the inevitable. But um, what many communities have chosen to do is if they have special ash trees in their community that are significant historically or they just provide great benefit for shade and those types of things is that communities are choosing to utilize these treatment methods on some of those trees and then determining other trees that are not as um, beneficial they they are not treating those so there is a product but i'm going to say this very firmly There is no point whatsoever in treating your tree right now in Wyoming because the insect has not been found within 15 miles um, of your location. The insect on its own moves very slowly with the movement of firewood. It can move quicker, but I don't know what Wyoming's recommendations are, but the Nebraska Forest Service recommendations were do not treat until it's within 15 miles of your location. And that's because Mm. the chemical is kind of an intense chemical and um, we we just don't want it to be used. Uh, And and you have to, there's, it's very complicated. You'll want to visit with, if you decide that you want to treat, don't treat right now, but get that information ready for when it is reported close to you that you're prepared and you know what to use, but do not treat right now. I might have to talk to you off air and get, the product name okay perfect okay perfect and then we can do a bulletin and have it ready for the extension people in wyoming how's that sound sounds good by me okay all right uh oh geez guess what time again it our time has gone away um amy thank you very much for being here uh uh, i'm gonna ask you right now i'd like it to have you back in the fall if you're i'm putting you on the spot would you be willing to do that Oh, I'd love to do it. Okay. I, I, this is like the highlight of my spring. You've started me in a good direction. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jerry. Happy uh, Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th. Our next date for our program is in April. Uh, I believe it's the second week. We're, and then we will definitely be here the last week of April as Jerry looks for his calendar very quickly. Very quickly. And Greg's... Uh, <laughs> it will be the 10th of... April. The 10th and the, the 24th. 10th and the 24th. Of April. We're upping our game. We're yes, twice yes, we a are. month now. Okay. Yes. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed the program, and we'll see you the 10th of April. You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek, presented by KGOS and KERM Radio in Torrington and by University of Wyoming Extension. Growing people, knowledge, and communities 24-7.